right, welcome to a special edition, a bonus episode of Lions of Liberty here. I am joined once again by Libertarian presidential candidate, entrepreneur, felon, Mark Whitney. Welcome back. That, all that and so much more, you know? <laughs> you know, Mark, since the last time we talked, you've really run a quiet campaign, you know, haven't heard much from you. It's... I know. I'm like the most loved and most hated libertarian in America right now. Um, and, and that's a that's a good thing. Um, you know, I felt like I had a name recognition problem. So I thought I'd call Hornberg or a motherfucker and that would take care of that. And it did. And then Florida responded by censoring my speech. So I'm like, OK, that's been a good weekend. Yeah. So just to dig in for I mean, because you know, I was following the events, you know, reading your, your Facebook feed that day and. Um, yeah. I'm still not exactly sure what happened. So is that what happened on Facebook? You called um, Hornberger? Uh, no, no, not on Facebook. I did a press interview uh, uh, with, I think it was, I think Gary Doan is, is his name. I've been doing a lot of interviews, but, uh, and um, so I needed to, I needed to shake things up. And uh, so I just said, well, yeah, I called him a motherfucker. And he, pr- he printed, he said, well, that'll get some clicks. I said, well, I hope the tape is on. And uh, uh, I had no idea that. So, you know, I, I didn't know at the time, though, that that everybody's such a bunch of pearl clutching. I mean, church people here. I mean, I don't know what's going on. It's like it's like, you know, the Democrats, uh, Beto O'Rourke, he throws the F word around on a regular basis. Uh, Trump stood in front of the White House the other day as president after the after the uh, uh, the, the impeachment thing. He said it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, that's the guy that we're running against is Donald Trump. And so if you can't make Mark Whitney your bitch, how are you going to make him your bitch? That's what it comes down to. So, so what did the uh, the Libertarian Party of Florida, what, what did they, how did they approach you? Like what? Uh, well, they approached my campaign manager, Michael Pickens, and they threatened to not live stream the podcast, the, the, uh, the debate, right. unless I agreed not to call Jacob bad words. And I had no plans to call him bad words. Um, and I didn't, I never challenged their right to do it. I challenged only their judgment as libertarians, because in my opinion, as libertarians, we should not be imposing our sensibilities on the end users of the debate. That's up to them to judge what the candidates do or don't do on stage. Do you have a, a personal problem with uh with jacob hornberger or he's in first place that's my problem with him i'm just doing business <laughs> i'm just doing business jacob's been on his feet running his mouth as long as i have he positions himself as a vicious litigator i figure he can defend himself he doesn't need people to defend him mm-hmm. and i want to mix this shit up libertarians believe that competition is good and i'm in a i am in a public speaking contest with my opponents where competition is not allowed. We're meant to pretend we all like each other. We're meant to pretend that we don't want to cut each other's throat. We're meant to pretend that we don't want to win. I mean, think about what's involved here, right? Look at Adam Kokesh. He's a good young entrepreneur. He's got himself a bus. He's been campaigning for two years. Uh, Everybody who is in this competition, and that's what it is, a competition. It's not a love fest. Competition. Everybody is highly motivated. Everybody is trying to find ways to separate themselves from the crowd. But we're not allowed to do that. Our, 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 the only tools we have in our quiver to do that are props and words, our verbal communication, our nonverbal communication. We're on stage. We're there in 3D. We drag our ass out to these things. We spend money. And then you go in and you can't be truthful because the, the, the belief system is 
is that if you if you don't bow at all times to the authority of the delegates, then you're somehow fucking up. I say no. I don't bow to anybody. And that's that's how you want your your first libertarian president to be, right? When they when the when the risk management industrial complex comes marching into the Oval Office, they say, Mr. President, we they're all Democrats and Republicans. We want you to bomb this country. It's never bombed us. I'm like, you mother Jacobers, get the fuck out of my office. That's what I showed people in Florida, that I'll be that guy. All of my opponents bowed to authority. There was a clear choice between authority and liberty in that room, and they sat on their hands. I, I did see, and I, I haven't followed you know, all the other candidates that closely afterwards, um, but right. I did see that uh, Daniel, Dan Behrman, taxation is theft, Dan Behrman, yep. did come out and, and sort of softly support you, but then right. sort yeah, of Dan, not. Dan made, Dan made the point. So, so this whole night was a setup. The whole thing was a setup. I'm, I set everybody up. I went in there. When I knew I was going to be centered, I went in there and I put on a show and I, I lost the room the minute I called them the authoritarian party of Florida. That was it. That was done, right? That was done. And uh, so so they didn't clap for me after my – not even a golf clap after my introduction, right? You, there there so were some booze. There were some booze. Right. Yeah. And so, so, so I'm like, okay, that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. So every time I stand up, I'm going to defy you. And they defied me, and then I would defy them again. They defy me. Mm-hmm. So what we had was detente. And my kid came out of there. My son was there. He says, well, now I know I didn't have any friends growing up. <laughs> At least he had a sense of humor about it. Yeah, he says, you and your principals. Now I know why. Because I used to write. We used to live in Hanover, New Hampshire. The local paper used to let you, let you write a 500-word letter to the editor once every two weeks. And so I wrote 26 letters a year, you know, explaining libertarian principles and calling out Democrats and Republicans. And so my kids had to be tough. You know, it's like a boy named Sue. It's like the old Johnny Cash song, you know? Right. I, lo- I love that yeah. song. Yeah. So so after after that happens in Florida, that night, or was it the next morning, um, you announced you, you were dropping out because there were death yes. threats. Well, there were death threats to people on my team. And my family did not receive uh, death threats directly. But my family, uh, uh, especially my youngest son, who's autistic, was petrified by it. Um, and, uh, so I will have private security in Birmingham and Des Moines this week. Um, it's no joke. The cognitive dissonance that's going on. Everybody is strapped up. I don't have my second amendment rights anymore because I lied to a bank 30 years ago, which makes perfect sense. And, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm running, you know, every, the, the culture right now is in, in the party, the conversation we're having is still upside down. Uh, uh, you know, Matt Welch accused me of coming in immediately and having an impact because I spent a little bit of my own money. And it's like, if I spent a million dollars, would you be even more angry at me? I mean, I don't understand that mentality. We have people running for president in this party who are couch surfing, you know, and, and uh, you know, that's just that's just not very credible. I'm trying mm-hmm. to present a credible uh, president here with a credible first family, and I'm trying to show people a president. So I had the opportunity in Florida to do just that, and we'll bring that around, and we'll tell that story uh, uh, about how I was the only one in the room to stand up that night. And then and then Attorney Hornberger, the way he spun it, which you can do in that room because they're not lawyers, he spun it as me taking exception to their private property rights. This is a First Amendment issue. The words that I was speaking on stage – 
I didn't make those up. I took those, the words I said on stage, which I'll demonstrate later in this campaign, are the same words that Ross Perot's lawyers used in their legal briefs to try to get him on stage in 1992 with the Presidential Commission on Debates. So this is all planned out. Everybody took debate. Everybody sat. Everybody defied. And they proved themselves to be weak on liberty and weak on freedom. So just to go back to, to the private property rights, because that's what they're saying. They're saying the Libertarian Party, Libertarian Party of Florida, that's a private organization, much like the yes. DNC or the RNC are private they're organizations. Actually right? identical. They're all 527s. Mm-hmm. They're all 527 organizations. So Their the status same, is identical. So the same private organizations, yep. same status, the DNC yep. and the RNC, which yep. collude to keep libertarians out of the debate. Correct. So they're going to be making that argument this summer, right? And if they nominate Attorney Hornberger, the lights are going to go out within 24 hours of Austin because he's got the charisma of a of a gnat. Um, uh, you know, I'm trying to show people over the next three months, rather than tell them I'm the guy that will keep the, keep the lights on all summer and maybe up to November 3rd, I'm trying to show them that I am a mother Jacober who can light things up. And that's what I did down in Florida. I lit shit up and I united Florida libertarians for the first time. All against me, but I united them. Is, is there any aspect of what happened in Florida or what's happened between any of the candidates that, that you feel bad about, how it played out, that you want to apologize about, anything like that? Absolutely not. I would do everything identically. The, the only thing that could have hurt me that night, every time I stood up, I was saying to myself, please, Please, all of my opponents, please do not stand up and support me because I want to be able to separate myself from all of you as being people who are incapable of being in the room, incapable of responding to what's happening, incapable of just giving your opinion in a competent way. And all you do is sit there and chant about principles like a bunch of monkeys. And, and, and you're not competent to be the president. You ought to just get, get off the stage. So moving forward here, I think this we're recording this just for people watching this or listening to it, recording this on Wednesday night, February 26th. The, the video is going to be released on the 27th, the audio a little bit later. But uh, so you have coming up, I think you're going to Mississippi, right? And then yeah, I got to go. I think I'm, I'm fine. I think I'm kind of like a package now that just gets delivered places. You know, my team calls me the answer. I'm trying to get my wife to call me the package. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, but yeah, I just kind of, I just kind of the talent now shit is blowing up so much that, uh, I'm just, uh, I, I, I think I've, I must've drunk a gallon and a half of water already. I'm just trying to stay hydrated, trying not to get sick. It's really intense right now. It's like, I'm like a real presidential candidate right now. Libertarians just haven't figured it out, but I trust that if I show them a national campaign in progress, which is what's going on right now, I don't think they're going to shut that down. I don't think they're going to shut that down and restart it with somebody else who's less qualified to actually be present. Well, it, it'll be interesting. And uh, so what types of things do you have in motion uh, or that you're trying to get in motion for a national campaign? Oh, well, like I was telling you before, before you start rolling, I have, I have two teams. I have the team that the Libertarian Party sees. Right. And who are libertarians like C. Michael Pickens, been a libertarian forever, uh, Aaron Adams. Um, and, and others who have been great supporters, who have been stalwarts, Christy, Kendrick, um, and, and just a bunch of people. Uh, but then I also have separately people that I've known forever, people I've known, 
you know, for 15 or 20 years in the entertainment business who just believe in me as a person. And uh, so those people were working on getting me on, on media that is not necessarily liberty leaning. So on the West Coast, we're focusing, uh, focusing on right now on podcasts hosted by comedians who are also politically engaged, talking about what's going on in the real world outside the libertarian bubble. And so we're working these two tracks. And I, I want to show the party that I'm capable of keeping the lights on, that I'm going to light it up every day. I'm going to compete like a mother Jacober. And I, I'm trying to, trying to get a head start on the national campaign and show them it's easy to tell somebody something. It's another thing to do it. So I'm trying to just do it because that's what I do, man. Well, let me give you a question here. And this is, I mean, some people might call this a, a curveball question, but I think you can handle it. I so sure I can. People might, might look at your campaign and be afraid that you are portraying, by the way you behaved in the past week here or so, that you're portraying the Libertarian Party as, as clownish or, um, or some, something of that nature. How, how would you respond to those people? I think it's up to the audience to decide whether the Libertarian Party presidential uh, uh, nomination process is clownish. I have seen comments on places like C-SPAN, you know, on YouTube, where you put up the Libertarian Party presidential debates and you got people debating whether it's OK for a 45 year old man to fuck an eight year old. You know, people think that maybe is a little out of the mainstream. And uh, so that doesn't help. So, so I, uh, today, today on the Whitney for President Facebook page, I was a, I've been attacked. I've had 12,000 hits from Sanders supporters. And the majority, the, the vast majority of negative comments that I receive on that page, they don't even look at me. They see the word libertarian and they go pedophiles. And they're out. They're out. They're really? out. Yes. You think people go yes. right to pedophile when they hear the word libertarian? I can, I can show you the comments. The, wow. so, so there are more people that take exception to the party being associated with pedophilia than take exception to me having a criminal record, which is number two. So we have all the analytics on that now. So when I was on the California Executive Committee back in 2005, in the first meeting, I said, we got to throw this word out. This word is associated with too much toxicity. The mainstream media has been successful in capitalizing on situations where you have some guy. I mean, there was literally a guy in Idaho named Larry Libertarian and had like 300 fucking guns in the house and there are helicopters circling over his head. And he's like, you're not going to take me alive. So when that happens, the mainstream media latches onto that because they're partners with the DNC and RNC and they, you know, and they brand the party as associated with these people. And I can, I can sit on Facebook all day and say, well, you know, I am disliked by some libertarians because I'm not for those things. I was on stage with all those people the other night. Right. And, uh, um, so, and I, and I was the only one that called him out. I said, you know, the government should regulate, uh, the government should be in charge of setting age limits on things. We, we do, we, we, the people wrote the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth amendments. And that's exactly what those amendments do. They protect, uh, they protect us from each other as adults. Why would you not also have the same protection for children? Wait, would you just to be clear, when you say age limits on things, you're talking about age limits on, you're, you're not talking about everything. Yeah. You're just talking about just on that. Topic, yeah. Just on I'm talking about, you know, we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, people have some comedian friend of mine the other day, we were talking about, you know, what do you think about a 45 year old and a 12 year old having sex? And he said, well, 
that depends which one I am. <laughs> that was that was a very dark response, but it it made me chuckle, you know, because I'm a little dark. <laughs> well, with with, uh, with stuff like that, sometimes you're making a joke about it. That's that's all you can do. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so, so how so, do you know, how do you, yeah, how do you turn that how do you turn that around? If if libertarians, which I'm sure we are, so I, I don't know how widespread yeah. it is, being associated with pedophilia, which is ridiculous. How, yes. how do you how do you turn that around? Well, if all if the only thing you know as a presidential candidate is the Libertarian Party national platform, you you have no business running for president. But if you understand the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, like I do, you can sit there and go, wait a minute. You know, all authority comes from the people. We are sovereign citizens. We created this contract that presidents are meant to swear to protect, preserve, and uphold and all that stuff. And in that contract, we have rules that protects us from each other. We all live a First Amendment right. Uh, we, all, we all live a First Amendment life. That's sort of the default. And that's a wonderful life to live. And, and then like Dave Chappelle says, if that doesn't work out, you've got the Second Amendment, which is a good joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also have these other amendments the fourth through eighth amendments, that is the recipe book for taking away your first amendment life. That's how we protect our, each, you know, ourselves from each other. When somebody goes rogue and lies to a bank 30 years ago and, and uh, you know, or, uh, or, or, you know, that, that's how we, that's how we regulate conduct. We, we don't, we're not anarchists. Anarchy is not a thing. It's, there's no precedent for anarchy in human history that I'm aware of. I've never heard anyone cite it. Uh, directionally, directionally, I support the idea because I want to have the least amount of government possible. But I also support the idea that says you can put in a set of rules. We, the people can create a set of rules to protect the rights that are most important to us, which is what the first amendment does. And then the 14th amendment, which came along in 1865 after the founders were dead. That's the amendment that makes sure no state can ever take away your gun. No state can ever take away your right to pray or not pray. No state can ever take your right to free press, your right to redress your grievances in court, to access the courts, uh, your right to associate uh, and speak and think and create freely. No state can do that to you. So I support the 14th Amendment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and a lot of young people think the, the founders were racist, uh, and they weren't. They were kidnappers. They kidnapped people from other countries. And they brought them here, and slavery was an economic model. It wasn't racism. It was kidnapping. It was an economic model. It was horrible. But those people were all dead when the when the Fourteenth Amendment was passed, and that's the version of the Constitution we live under now. That Fourteenth Amendment version is literally it literally changed everything, and I would argue for the better. Uh, one thing we didn't when I had you on the show last time, which uh, it's a shame we didn't talk about it, but since we did talk about your past and the you know spending time in prison yeah. and your experience in the criminal justice system one thing i'm going to try to do going forward is at least for every you know candidate that's actually out there campaigning libertarian candidates talk to them about you know their main policies how they would change the criminal justice system so what right. what how would you go about changing our broken system i mean what 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 types of things would you try to implement as quickly as possible well there are some things i can do immediately as president at a granular level. And as these debates go on, I'm going to start talking more about the granular Constitution, the granular United States Code. So I'll give you two or three things. There's a law, Title 18, Section 3661. And and I just want to say, folks, we didn't prepare for this, okay? I'm just, this is just stuff that's in my head. 18 U.S.C. 3661, that is a law that allows prosecutors to bring any evidence they want into a sentencing hearing 
uh, for purposes of ratcheting up the sentence. But then on the other side, in the back of the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines Manual, which is created in the judicial branch, therefore it's a it's a violation of separation of powers. They write a manual, and in Chapter 5H, they list all the things that are not relevant to sentencing, and among those are all the mitigating factors that defendants would normally bring in. They would normally bring in, you know, your personal background, whether you have mental health issues, physical issues, your age, uh, 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 whether you have kids at home, whether you're broke, whether you're rich, those things that you normally, whether you've got awards because you were in the service or a war, those are the things that defense lawyers normally argue. They go, yes, Your Honor, my client lied to the bank. But look, he's got these other things going on. You should mm -hmm. consider that. So on the one hand, there's a law that says the government can bring in anything. They can bring in double, triple, quadruple hearsay under a preponderance of the evidence standard. And, and then on the other hand, there's this set of guidelines that says defendants can't bring in mitigating factors. So as president, here's what I can do. I can say, you know what, you guys, I'm not going to sign this budget until that shit is leveled up, until you repeal that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to sign this budget until you reform the bankruptcy code to make student loans dischargeable, and that will end predatory student lending right there. So if you, if you understand where some of the hot buttons are, you know, there's a rule, uh, again, staying granular. Let me hold up this log book for you, right? You go to a law library, see a bunch of these books. This is the law. Everything in these books can be cited as precedent. And if you have a case on your side, you can say, this case supports me. But Federal Rule of Appellate Procedure 32.1 says that judges get to decide what opinions appear in those books. The three wins that I have against the Department of Justice, where I represented myself using a prison typewriter, none of those wins are published in any of these law books. They're kept secret. So, but the government gets to see everything because they're a party to every case. So they see everything judges sign. Mm -hmm. But if a defense lawyer, uh, the, the defense lawyer, since I won my case, since I got my case declared unconstitutional, I've been able to find five published cases where defense lawyers made the exact same argument and all of their clients lost. But if they had had my case, U.S. versus Whitney, the site is precedent signed by Stephen Breyer in the First Circuit at the time, they would have won their case. So that is... That's a horrible thing. Not a lot of people know that judges get to, decide, get to decide what shows up in the law books. So they give me my relief, uh, and the, the Justice Department gets to see all the law. The defense attorneys get to see only a small fraction. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and, you know, I would be so proud to have my cases published in these books because these are the accomplishments that are, 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 are these are the biggest accomplishments of my life. Right. And, uh, you know, I just have them on paper. Uh, they don't exist in any electronic databases. And, um, uh, and, and so, so that's why I started my company was to make sure it's called the law.net was to make sure lawyers in small offices would see all the law. And as the internet has progressed and, uh, the judicial branches have migrated their material to the internet, um, uh, you, you can now see all the documents that, Judges sign in, in most cases, I would say you can see 95% now, but they still have rules in place that say, even though you can see this, and even though I, the judge, I, I Judge Hornberger signed this, and you can see it, and you've got it in your hands, and it agrees with you, we've got another rule that says you can't cite it as precedent. Uh, in some jurisdictions, you can cite it as persuasive. In other jurisdictions, you're not allowed to cite it at all. You'll get fined. You'll get disbarred. All kinds of bad things happen. So just to just to turn back to 
because you mentioned some things you could change quickly in the criminal justice system. I do right. want to ask you specifically about the war on drugs, because it's right. such a hot button issue. I watched the Democratic debate last night. Uh, yep. And they, they dance around it. Um, well, that's because they're authoritarians. I mean, they believe in the war on drugs and they are they are owned by the people who have by the government unions that employ all the people to go out and enforce law on drugs. They're owned by those people. They're owned by the private prison industry. There's a lot of money being made by white people like me on the war of drugs, you know? Absolutely. So, so do you think is, I I know it's more complicated to, to unpack it, but, um, what would be the quickest way to end the war on drugs? Well, the president has the power of the pen and then the president has to sign the budget. He has to, they need the president to sign the budget. So I'm like, we got to fix some shit here before I sign this budget. We've got human rights violations going on. These, uh, uh, you know, I was incarcerated with young black men who have a first time offense for selling pot or Coke or something to, you know, professionals in Washington, D.C. and Baltimore and Philly who want those drugs. And so they sell them to them. And there's no violence involved. But Congress creates the legal fiction that says if you do this dealing, it is violent per se. Um, so there are all these granular things that are buried in the U.S. Code and in the federal rules and in the, and in the CFR and in judicial opinions. There are many, many opportunities. The, so I'm, I'm someone that just happens to know where these Achilles heels are. And there are other people like me who know that. There are, there are people like Brian Stevenson and Michelle Alexander uh, who, who have devoted their life to protecting civil liberties. And there is no light between libertarians and these people when it comes to the so-called criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I would want some of these people to be judges. I would want them to work in my administration. Uh, I, 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 want, I want to appoint libertarian judges. By the way, you, you mentioned we talked about the Presidential Commission on Debates. Uh, Ross Perot lost his argument back in 1992, but a libertarian judge would resolve these questions entirely differently. A libertarian judge would take the position I took on stage in Florida the other night. So, so a libertarian judge is going to go, we have a conflict between your, between your organization's right to privacy and the right of the people to be represented and to hear you know, from these politicians, political speech is better, is the most protected speech uh, under the First Amendment. That's that's always been the case. And a libertarian judge is, is going to resolve this conflict in favor of the people hearing the presidential candidates. It's a presidential debate. All the speakers are running for president and a libertarian judge is not going to censor that, is not going to censor that like the libertarians in Florida did. They're going to have a totally different... The judges that turn us down are Republican and Democrat judges. Mm-hmm. Right? A libertarian judge is going to have a different, entirely different take on that. So, so let's assume that you get... Uh, you know, let's fast forward to, to May LP convention in Austin. Let's assume you get the nomination. Right. Let's assume you campaign forward against, we'll say, Bernie Sanders and Trump. That's who I think it's going to be. Oh, that's so my wish. Say, that's my by, wish. Stat, Statler and Waldorf. By a miracle, you win in November. Yeah. You're getting inaugurated whenever that happens, January, whatever day that is. Right. You have your first day in office. Second day, you're being impeached because the Democrats or Republicans, they control everything and they don't want a libertarian president. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you stay in office as a libertarian so, president? So the, the difference between me and Adam Kokesh is that Adam, and I like Adam, he knows I like him, I like his wife, I've been on the bus. He's running for tyrant, right? 
So he'll be impeached the first week and he'll be removed. I won't be removed because I'm constitutional. I'm not going to do anything unconstitutional. I'm not going to do anything illegal. I've been there, done that. And, and uh, so that's one of my pitches, you know. Uh, other politicians get elected, then go to prison. I did it the other way around. Got it out of my system 30 years ago. You don't have to worry about me. So everything will be done pursuant to the Constitution. And when these people come at me like an angry mob, like, like happened in Florida, I will be the one person in the room who does not bow, who does not bend, and I'll say, bring it on, authoritarians, bring it on. And the people will rally behind me because the people are going to like me as a president because I'm going to be the guy that reminds them of the principles they forgot they believe, and they're going to be so excited to have me there as a firewall for freedom with these angry mobs, these Democrats and Republicans. Last question. Out of the current crop of libertarian presidential candidates we have, right? can you picture one being your vice president? Sure, uh, I can. I think uh, Hornberger would make a great vice president. Um, I think Mike Pence makes him, uh, uh, I think he makes Mike Pence look exciting, which is what you want in a vice president, someone that's not going to steal the spotlight and put people to sleep. So you just, he'd make a good vice president. He could sit over there. Uh, and just wait for me to get shot or impeached, um, uh, or, which is the job. And he could preside over the Senate. Alternatively, he could be White House counsel because he won that one case back in Texas 40 years ago. Uh, and then he can get me a Coke. That'd be great. Get me a Coke, Jacob, will you? Bring me another Coke, you what, mother Jacober. What, what makes you think that he would agree to be your vice president? I would hope he would. I'll ask him in the next debate. That's Jacob, if I were to get the nomination, we're all up here singing Kumbaya every night. I assume you and I could be running mates, right? I mean, I assume that, that I mean, he's an attorney for crying out loud. He's a vicious litigator. That's how he positions himself, that he's going to be the guy that makes Trump his bitch. That Jacob Hornberger, right? I mean, that's like a punchline, right? Jacob Hornberger is going to make Donald Trump his bitch. Okay, fine. So I'll stipulate to that. So, so join my team and let's go make Trump and Pence our bitches. Let's do that. Come on, Jacob. I'll write the jokes for you. <laughs> so uh, you have your debates coming up this weekend. For anybody who's just stumbled across this interview, maybe the first time they've ever seen you, like, what the, who the heck is this guy? What's going on here? Where can they learn more about your campaign? Where can they find all that stuff out? Uh, MarkWhitney.com, the most loved and most hated uh, libertarian in the country, the worst politician also in the country, everybody in Florida, they were politicians because all they care about is winning. I'm the guy that stood there and set myself, my political career on fire in front of an open room because I am a man of principle. And if I feel you're violating my principles, you want a terrible politician to be your libertarian president because as a libertarian president, I have to set my political career on fire on a daily basis saying no to Democrats or Republicans. That's what I showed you in Florida. Watch the Florida debate. That is your president right there. Yeah, thank, yeah. thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Oh, one more plug. Can I do one more plug? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay, so uh, I got to qualify. So the Libertarian Party of Texas is auctioning off. They're auctioning off four debate slots. They're literally having an auction. They're going to only allow four people on stage hmm. based on how much money we can raise for the Texas Libertarian Party. So if you like what you heard here today, even if you're not going to vote for me, even if you're all about Jacob Hornberger, even if you're all about Adam Kokesh, send an email to mark at markwhitney.com if you like competition. If you think competition makes things better, 
send an email to mark at markwhitney.com and I'll send you the Mark Whitney link at the Texas Libertarian Party and you can deposit up to $100 in my account. Right now I'm $20 behind Hornberger who's in first place. So do they like do they have a do they publish like who's leading or you just know that? Well, from- we we have a, we each have a private link that we turn that we give to our supporters. Our supporters go there and it says Mark Whitney debate and then mm-hmm. you can choose the amount you give not uh, not to exceed $100. And then I don't know what I've raised, you know, 1500 or something and Jacob's raised $1520 or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I'll be on the debate stage, but I want to go down to Texas having out fundraised the guy in his own state. Well, there you go. Mark Whitney, thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks, man. You're a good host. It's always a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Take care.